Hey folks, Jeff Salzman here. Thanks for tuning into The Daily Evolver. While we're on summer hiatus from our live podcast, we're posting some of our favorite episodes from the archives. So today, we're sharing a recording of a talk I did a couple years ago at a conference that Integral Life produced here in Boulder, the What Next Conference. And I like this talk because it's a nice, succinct expression of what has become one of the central themes of my work with The Daily Evolver. And that is that I'm heartened by the state of our world. That I see the force of Eros, which is the force behind the evolution of consciousness and culture. That today, Eros, I always love Whitman called it, the procreant urge, is creating more goodness, truth, and beauty in the world today than ever before in human history. And it's a process that is accelerating. And I argue that to realize this is an integral move. And it takes effort uh, because, you know, the cultural currents are of doom and cynicism and anxiety. But to do this, to realize the beauty of the world uh, and the updraft of history, is an insight that not only creates a happier life, but it also empowers us to be actually helpful, truly helpful, in solving the problems and healing the suffering that persists. And there's no shortage. But we are coming now from less fear and more love. And that is a powerful, as I said, updraft to ride. So anyway... Have a listen and see what you think. And let me know. I always love to hear your comments, questions, whatever. And you can either jot a note uh, and email it to me or record a voice memo on your smartphone and email that to me. Uh, either way, it's jeff at dailyevolver.com. Hope you're having a great summer. So how are we all doing, huh? Cool. Yeah, me too, actually. It's been just so fun to get together like this. And, you know, we, we talked about some of the differences between um, what we've done in the past and what we're doing tonight. And um, what we're doing tonight is we're going to just receive some perspectives. I mean, one of the, one of the things that we do uh, as integralists, as we presumably enter what we call flex flow consciousness. And that one of the markers of integral consciousness is the ability to really receive a perspective and to receive it from the speaker in the way they really want you to. I mean, we really do have a lot of receptors online. You know, I almost think of, of, of Integral as like the Google map where you just sort of raise the resolution. You can just see more. It's like, whoa, that was all there too, you know. And so we want to do that. And, and of course, also uh, uh, one of the markers in the same category is that we are able to hold multiple perspectives. And uh, so that's what we're going to do tonight. And I, I think of uh, one of the um, best things I've learned in 2012, we do our 
best 10 best list. This is one of them for sure. And that is I stumbled on the internet uh, upon this philosophical principle uh, by this uh, a Polish philosopher, Leszek Wolokowski, uh, called the Law of the Infinite Cornucopia. And it's a really interesting thing. I remember when I first read it, the, the Law of the Infinite Cornucopia says basically this, and that is, in today's environment, and he was writing this in the late 80s, so it's even way more true now, um, there's enough information and enough evidence to support any point of view you want to take for whatever reason you want to take it. <laughs> Isn't that something? That's really something. And it, uh, when I first heard it, I thought, you know, it was kind of green. It was intriguing to me, but I thought, I, I wrestled with it. It's kind of green. Is it, does that mean there's no truth? You know, and is it just everything's just perspectives and everything's just, you know, point of view. And, um, and I actually don't think that's true. I think what it actually points to is that in the typical way we want to know things and argue things and take positions, it's all very slippery at this point. And I think we see that. I think we saw that today. I think uh, certainly in our politics um, breakout, it's uh, just interesting to, you know, I had a couple heated arguments with people and I walk away thinking, am I right? You know, are they right? I, I don't, I actually, you know, it's unknowable in a certain way. And this is the good news, and it's actually almost, a, it, it, forget almost, it's a spiritual principle. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a uh, marker of spiritual evolution that at second tier, we realize that the truth is unknowable in the way that we thought it was in first tier. Every first tier meme has some story of the way things are, and certainly the way things ought to be. And some story of, of the fall from paradise that we've all taken, and that we've screwed things up. You know, we disobeyed God. Uh, we disobeyed the elders or the spirits. Um, we were irrational. Um, we just don't get it. You know, we're just hopelessly corrupt. You know, this is the green point of view that I have to say I'm just sick to death of. I just really am. You know, I mean, to go to a Boulder dinner party is almost more than I can manage <laughs> these days. Where the revealed wisdom worldview is that we're living in a hopelessly sick, violent, corporatized eco-dystopia. Which is true in a certain way. <laughs> you know? And this is, I mean, it is, right? Um, but, you know, everything falls short of an ideal. And one of the I think markers of second tier is we sort of just lose our ideals. You know, I remember a, a quote from Fritz Perls that he said that he doubted that anybody under 50 could actually have an authentic spiritual life because they haven't been disillusioned enough. I don't know about that, but, but there is um, something that 
is sort of where we realize, because as integralists and in, in, in feeling this impulse of emergence and actually seeing it in history, this is empirically true that we, you know, dirt got up and wrote poetry. You know, it's really an amazing thing that we can actually take faith in that. Which is kind of a, in a, in a sense, it's a recapitulation or a rehabilitation of blue or amber, where we actually, I remember talking to Namali, uh, my dear friend, is that you, Namali, there? Yeah, uh, from Sri Lanka, worked at Boulder Integral now, and quite a woman of the world in Brazil. And we were talking, she, her thing is always that I'm religious but not spiritual. She's a kind of contrarian in that way. <laughs> and I said, so what do you have faith in? And do you remember what you answered me, Namali? Yeah, yes, and that's the key. Is that she said when I asked her what she has faith in, because she's she said I'm religious without a religion, I'm religious but not spiritual, and um, she said that I have faith in emergence itself. And I love that because so do I. And I think that. As we move into an integral consciousness and an integral way of being, that we do actually relax a little bit. We realize that we really, we didn't screw things up. Actually, we're rising out of the swamps, for God's sakes. You know, we're doing really well. <laughs> and we don't have to fix it. We actually just have to love it in a way. It's, it's like, I often think of, um, and this may be my own sort of bias, I think it is in a certain way, but that an integral perspective is almost the pers perspective of, of a grandparent. It's like, where you realize the kids are going to fight, that there's going to be all kinds of mayhem, that actually nothing goes really according to plan, and that people grow under their own power. And that culture and civilization grows under its own power. And so I, I think that one of the things that, it's like Diane was saying this morning, that one of the things we notice about evolutionary uh, movement is that people tend to polarize against the stage that they're sick to death of. That's progress. That's an engine of evolution. So in some ways, we actually do want to push off of green. Not necessarily in an angry way, because of course green is precious. Oh my God, how could we overstate the great gifts of humanity, of pluralism and world centrism and ecology and feminism and gay rights and animal rights and all of the amazing things that green does. And I'm still mad because they're so bummed out. You know? I'm sick of it. It's bumming me out. And I see something different. And you know, you talk about progress, of course, you talk about progress at a Boulder dinner party, you're, you know, shouted out of the room. So I don't, but I believe it. And, and it's a hard one. It's a hard one to carry in the culture. I, I get that. I mean, how could you talk about progress when, you know, 27 people are gunned down in a school, Jesus Lord Almighty, 20 of them children at age six years old? I mean, good, what could be worse than that? Nothing. There's nothing worse than that. And we could go on with the details, but we all know them. And it's just, what do we say? But there actually is one thing worse than that. And that is that happening a thousand times more often than it does.
And when we look at the trajectory of history, children are living better lives than they have ever lived by dramatic. In fact, New York Times last week, infant mortality down by half in the last 20 years. Just humanity in general, more education, more communication, more technology, more kilowatts, more acres per bushels per acre, more healthcare, longer lives, more calories. These are significant. Is there, are there still people who are left behind? Absolutely. But we, in, to me, we need a new attitude that actually is heartened and realizes that we're living in an updraft. And Steve McIntosh, you'll talk about it more later, and I love your transmission, about an updraft of goodness, truth, and beauty that is um, just discernible. And you see it in all aspects of life. I mean, you know, clearly the incident at Newtown had its own special horror. And this is, we see this as sort of a sour spot in general in development. And that is that we get modern weaponry in pre-modern hands or in deranged hands. You know, weaponry that this stage of consciousness or intelligence could never themselves create, but they can adopt and use. And we see this in Newton. We see this in you know, the shootings. And by the way, there's been 140 kids killed in 10 years in school shootings. Um, that is every one a tragedy, but if you look at the whole of it, it's a small amount after 300 million people, 330 million people. And so we have to sort of work with this. This is, I think, a difficult thing in Integral to feel the updraft and also feel the broken heart of what is ultimately, yes, evolving, but an evolving catastrophe of sorts, where it's still just heartbreaking. As, as Ken says, it hurts more and it bothers you less as you develop. And so I work on that. And we see the same sour spot in history with, of course, modern weaponry in pre-modern hands with uh, terrorists or with um, Nazi Germany or with um, maybe even the Bush administration in certain ways, you know, a pre, a, a traditionalist, a us versus them. And when we're talking about that blue-amber traditionalism, the mentality is organized where the whole cosmos is a titanic battle between good and evil. And if you're not seeing evil and fighting evil and engaging the devil, you're not doing your job, you're naive, you're irresponsible. And so that's, you know, that's 40% of the population. In some ways, that strata is still online for us now. We're still fighting the enemy and demonizing and vilifying. In our case, you know, many of us to the degree that we're either waist deep or chest deep in green, which most of us are, I am, we're mad at the corporatists. We're mad at the um, politicians, these corrupt people who somehow, thankfully for us, hold our shadows for us so nicely, don't they? 
Isn't it so neat to just hate those politicians and how corrupt they are? Yeah. And we even look at corruption. I mean, if we look historically at corruption, what we call corruption now is basically a pre-modern economy. You know, it's, I'll do this for you, you do this for me. Before that, it was a tribal economy where if I win, you die. It's actually progress. I mean, we look up, we see that you're the tribal economy, I win, you die. We see the patronage economy. We see the bureaucratic economy that tries to wring out the um, abuses of the patronage economy, and that's the modernist economy, and that becomes stultifying and, you know, folded and spindled and mutilated and all of the stuff that we, you know, when we go get our driver's license, we hate. So we, there's plenty to hate. And all of it falls short of our ideals of what things should be. But I think at Integral, we let go of what we think should be. It's like we realize... I actually, in a way, don't know, and I don't have to know in the way that I thought I had to before, at least. I can actually just trust the system because I see that it's reliable. And isn't that a relief? I mean, where we don't feel like we blew it. I mean, not just us. I mean, we all walk around individually feeling like we blew it, too. You know, we had so much potential, and look at us. <laughs> what a sad disappointment. And if you don't see it in yourself, look at your, you know, spouse. <laughs> or your kids, or your boss, or, you know. And I'm tired of it. You know. And I see in so many ways, you know, animal rights. You know, I mean, look at, I was just reading, you know, one of the great books of 2012, another significant learning for me was, Steven Pinker's The Better Angels of Our Nature, uh, How Violence is Decreased, and just a devastating um, response to any green malaise that thinks we're living in some sort of uniquely ever-darkening time. For whether it's, you know, again, children, it's just laid out amazing, the trajectory of how children are living these mostly amazing lives, you know, provided they're not in the bottom billion, and, and still... A billion people lifted out of poverty in the last 20 years. Um, it's just these little things. I think of, um, uh, I think it was 1910 in Herald Square in New York City. Um, Thomas Edison, in order to demonstrate the superiority of DC current and the power of DC current over AC current, this was the big struggle at that time. This was the big technological battle executed Topsy, the circus elephant, who was retired and who had killed her trainer. I mean, so I guess she deserved capital punishment after 50 years of being in the circus. And so you know, they did a public execution of this elephant. This is actually on YouTube. And I say that because it's, so, it's just so nauseating to everybody in this room. I know it is. And yet it wasn't then. And people came to see it. I mean, probably some people were nauseated by it. But that's moral development. You know, the fact that we go as, that we feel as deeply as we do this situation in Newton, even though, you know, we look at the numbers and we think, you know, not that, whatever. But this is moral development that we care this much. 
Many of us saw the movie Lincoln, you know, the great, you know, on Mount Rushmore. What can more can you say about Abraham Lincoln, the most famous, most respected American of all time, you know, right with George Washington. And yet, I remember even as a kid, and I saw that again in the movie, I thought, you know, the, to keep the union, uh, 2% of the population died. That would be the equivalent of over 6 million people right now. If we had a president who took us to war where 6 million people died, we'd think he was a monster. And I'm not saying that, I don't say that as a diss to Abraham Lincoln. I'm a big Lincoln fan. I say that to show moral development. To show that the reaction that we had when 3,000 people died in 9-11, which is 0.000040, I think it's one ten-thousandth of a percent of the population. And I don't think that's trivial. I think that moral development has us take that very, very seriously. And this is a good thing. There's no catastrophe-free option. But we can see that just as there are spectacularly tangible results of modernity and post-modernity, as Steve, you uh, quote Daniel Dennett, the philosopher, is saying, there are also, spect and we're talking about the spectacularly tangible results of tripled lifespan and skyscrapers and the indoors, you know, all the things that we appreciate, that there's also spectacularly intangible results, deeply, deeply civilizing results of this moral development, particularly in the modernity, so that we have something that I think is a very credible principle uh, promoted by Tom Friedman, uh, called the Golden Arches Principle that shows that, or just demonstrates, you just see it, that no country with a McDonald's has ever attacked another country with a McDonald's. <laughs> and that's not necessarily pro-McDonald's, it's just pro-modernity. I mean, when you, in, in pre-modernity, the idea of conquering and plundering your enemy, that was, seemed like the way forward. It's, that's been true since tribalism, when you wanted to rid the valley of your enemy. But at modernity, it's just too much trouble. You know? I mean, we just saw this again demonstrated. And, you know, I, I, I remember the Bob Gates, who was the Secretary of Defense uh, for the first, I guess, three or four years of, three years of Obama, and also the end of um, the Bush administration, the Republican Secretary of Defense, in his final address to the cadets at West Point, which is a big deal, you know, he's been Secretary of Defense for all those years, he said, any president of the United States, or any, I'm sorry, any Secretary of Defense of the United States that would recommend to the president to launch another land war ought to have his head examined. That's huge. That's establishment, establishment figure. I maintain that we're done with war. I mean, we have the outliers. We have the pre-moderns. We have North Korea. We have Iran, who knows? You know, we have Afghanistan. We have, uh, you know, the sort of trailing edge. But so why worry about Big wars among modern countries? No. We'll, we'll compete economically. That's progress. It's problems to that, but it's progress. So 
I think there's a moral case for optimism. And I think that as integralists, you know, whether it's we're talking about polarization, politics, I mean, the polarization of politics, I read these comment sections on these political blogs. I mean, you know, there were the shouting, talking heads on the cable channels, and everybody's worked up about how polarized we are, and I guess there's problems to it, but I read these and it just seems like it's the transcript of my voice dialogue sessions from the 80s. You know what I mean? My psychotherapy sessions. Where I was just surfacing the voices. You know, maybe there's some intelligence to this. People get sick of arguing at some point. It's like couples that reach that maturity where they realize, you know what? The, what we thought we were arguing about isn't even that important. It's just the argument itself, and you just sort of get over it. And I think there's a moral case for hope and excitement to see, you know, what are these interiors? Where is, where is it taking us? Uh, and that we can surrender to the updraft of um, emergence itself and trust it in sort of a childlike way. I do. I mean, I, it's like I transferred, I, I used to feel like I was in the lap of Jesus when I was a little fundamentalist, you know, 12-year-old. And now I just feel like, I still feel do. I still do. It's not Jesus so much, maybe. It's just, you know, emergence is the third person, but God or goddess is a good second person. And it's really nice to rehabilitate that and to um, surrender to that. So that's uh, my wrap for tonight. And I just want to lay that out as an offering. And again, the law of the cornucopia, I don't know. It's what, how it feels like to me. It's, it's how I see it. And I offer it as a, a bit of a polemic to just advocate for that. As, um, as, a, as a pushing off against this reflexive um, critique of everything that we hear from first tier and which I am personally sick to death of. Thank you very much. <laughs>